Hey everybody, thanks for coming out out to the Mind Over Movies show tonight. We've got, ooh, we've got some cool, sexy people in the audience listening to this right now. Yeah, I see all of them. Uh, yeah, they're, they're looking pretty good today, they're, Isaac. Hey, the, the boys listening to this, they're, they're mighty hot. They're so hot. I'm, did I mention that I'm, I'm a hotness expert for the, for the, uh, University of, of Hotsville. I'm not Isaac. No. I'm, I'm, I'm just a typical guy who assesses people of all sizes and shapes and, <laughs> and I, and I determine if they're hot or not, but I came here to the Mind Over Movies recording session. Right. To, and I appraised your listeners, every single one of them. For being um, sexy. For being sexy. And God, they all are. Every single one of them. Even you, new person that hasn't listened before. Yeah. You're, you're so hot. You you probably came to this thinking uh, you're just going to listen to two guys talk. But no, you're you're going to get compliments first. Because that's how we do it here. All right. Well, I I gotta get back to the yeah. university and go do Since. some study about like the cure for cancer or whatever <laughs> I do over there. And gotta, I gotta leave. Send my send my co-host in when you leave. Hey guys, can I come back in? Yeah, come on in. Oh my gosh, it's good to be back. Yeah, Casey. Um, I know that that guy appraised our, our audience. I, yeah. I hope it's all good news. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I hope the listeners aren't. You know, turned off by it. Yeah, but. the mole on my back is cancer. But anyway, let's talk about <laughs> movies. <laughs> I didn't that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about some films. Hey, you watch Dora this week or something, right? <laughs> yeah, I watch Dora, Dora, Dora. Dora, Dora, Dora. No, I watch... no swiping. <laughs> I watched. Uh, I watched. Yeah, I watched Tora, Tora, Tora. A uh, bit of an older movie. Um, I think it was, I believe it was in the seventies. Can't remember the exact year, but I know it's the seventies. Um, and Tora 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 is a film about the December seventh attacks on Pearl Harbor um, by the Japanese. And this film was a little different because it is made by two studios: one in Japan or a Japanese studio, and one by an American studio. And for all you Kurosawa fans out there, Akira Kurosawa, one of the finest, greatest directors. Uh, of all time. Yojimbo, Yo The Hidden Jimbo, Fortress, yeah. Seven Samurai. Yeah, all those good ones. Yeah, the one where the guy is dying. Yeah, that with one. That, I, I don't, don't know, know which the name of it about. right now. It starts with an I. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Akira Kurosawa, he, was, he actually uh, was part of this film production um, for the first uh, uh, bit of it. it um, he wrote the screenplay and he was set to direct portions of like the, some of like the Japanese uh, scenes and sequences and such as an American director was going to do all the American stuff. And it was supposed to be like uh, a, a story. I oh, just hit the table. Sorry. Uh, was, <gasps> you jerk. I know it was supposed to be a, there's two sides to every story kind of take, you know, it was supposed to be like a, a well-rounded historically accurate depiction of what happened with Pearl Harbor on uh, both sides. Um, but Kurosawa, having not really worked with a bunch of... I don't think he worked with... A, well, he obviously worked with studios, but mm-hmm. not in this capacity of like a, of a, an American blockbuster sort of thing, because that's what they were toting it as. It was going to be this epic. And it's like a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Um, but Kurosawa actually 
got tired of like his vision being like interrupted and it was nobody was on the same page with him and so he um I can't I think he left the project or he got fired from the project one either way he detached himself from the project and it was one of the reasons at the time his movies were failing like nobody was coming to see his movies studios weren't giving him money to mm. make his movies and the you know the kind of the whole debacle of the Tora 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 thing kind of uh, was one of the catalysts for him trying to commit suicide. I had no idea. Oh, you had no, oh, he slashed his, he slashed his like wrists and I think his neck like 31 times. uh, Like he was in a bathtub and he almost died. He lost so much blood, I can imagine. But he did not die and he actually managed to not long after that make what many people consider his masterpiece which is uh ron i I believe is the name of it like r-a-n or something like that it's about like the 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 end of pretty much the the shogun yeah era of japan like in the introduction of like guns (laughs) yeah it's a japanese society yeah uh so that that complicated history of this film and historically accurate not as not as uh, yes it's historically accurate but it is so the movie is so 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 one-sided um yeah it, it's for it, the americans it's yeah. for the americans like yes it tells both sides of of the story and it, it, it what's going through uh, japan's mind and what's going through america's but it's really an american movie um and it was most popular in america like it was popular in japan but uh, and it made, but it didn't make a whole lot at the box office. In fact, it actually recouped its budget and all its money um, on DVD rentals um, mm. mainly. But I watched it. It is boring for the first hour and like ten minutes. But once the attack on Pearl Harbor starts, the special effects. It, it, it I literally don't know how they did it because everything looked. It was real explosions, and I guess. They just rented out a harbor and blew it up because that's literally what it looked like. The the budget for this thing at the time of nineteen you know seventy something, the budget was like thirty. I feel like uh, it's seventy two. Seventy two. Throw that out there. Right okay. Now. Yeah. Like, well, the budget is, is is about thirty million dollars, which you know pretty huge for a, a movie uh, at that time. And um, the sequences like on the Pearl Harbor attack looked great. They it looked it was like amazing like how they did it and stuff. Um but it's nineteen seventy, by the way. Nineteen seventy. Oh, and I just saw your review, so I see where this is going. Yeah. Um <laughs> but yeah, I it's it's uh, the the ending, um there's like a famous line at the end, um, where the Japanese like uh lieutenant or general and whatnot says uh, I fear all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant uh, and fill him with, uh, oh, oh, I can't remember what he says. It, Dijon mustard. N- yeah. <laughs> what? Fill him with. I guess. I, I got it. It's, uh, I fear all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve. So basically they were saying, we just fucked up. <laughs> like we basically just, you know, we, oh, America! America's really gonna come in. Yeah. So it's very obviously kind of like for you know the American uh, conscience of uh, you know Japan was actually the ones who messed up, and we can argue, yeah, they probably shouldn't have entered into the Axis powers with Hitler, but whatever, they had their own 
means uh, to uh, why they wanted to enter the war. But yeah. either way, this is not a history podcast as much as that'd be cool. But this is a film podcast. Tor Tor Tor. It's just a very boring movie. It's the only the only excitement out of it is the attack on Pearl Harbor, and that's uh, you can look at that as complicated as it is watching two thousand people die. But I don't know. You know, it's. Um, I feel like I would have liked it a lot better if Kurosawa had brought something yeah. to the table here. Um, which is very sad that he couldn't. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I don't want to, like... I just feel like, uh, based on real tragedy movies like this, especially Pearl Harbor movies, yeah. I don't know if there's any good ones, really. There is. There is one. It's called From Here to Eternity. Ah. It had Frank Sinatra in it, actually, as a oh, supporting character. Yeah, yeah, he was pretty prominent as mm-hmm. an actor there yeah. for a bit, huh? Yeah, From Here to Eternity, it's a bit of an artsy movie, though, so it's like considered uh, okay. high art, but it, it's really good. Like, it's really good. No, I, I think the but, only examples that I know of really are like this and, you know, Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor, Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor, yeah. Which I think that one is also very boring, but at least they, you know, talk about like. Uh, some some overlooked aspects of history like cuba gooding jr's character in that movie i don't remember his name in real life but like Mm -hmm. that guy really did like man the gun and like take out a bunch of like japanese like attacking ships um yeah i think yeah the problem is if you're gonna go into a movie like this and say oh we're gonna tell both sides of the story um you don't really get to just like tell a biased one side version of events Right there. And I will say that it is a tragedy. Like, Pearl Harbor mm-hmm. was definitely a surprise attack. Like, But even then, it wasn't that much of a surprise because FDR or, like, someone got tipped off about it before. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I'm not an expert on this. Yeah, well, so, yeah. But the... I'm pretty sure FDR got, like, tipped off mm-hmm. about it and had enough warning to, like, get people out of there. But it was, like, a tactical decision that... Yeah. So... That's something that a lot of Pearl Harbor media ignores, yeah. is that the U.S. is complicit in the deaths of these 2,000 soldiers, which were essentially used as pawns yeah. to enter into the war. Mm-hmm. I, Surprisingly, this movie talks about that, though. Really? Like, the first hour and ten minutes is the Americans going back and forth, uh, deciphering, they break the Japanese code uh, mm-hmm. for the radio transmissions, and they warn all the they warn the president and they try to warn everybody else that there is an attack imminent. They think there's an attack imminent on Pearl Harbor, and basically they're like, "There's not enough evidence. There's not enough because they had we had an American embassy in Japan, so we weren't just going to start declaring that Japan's going to attack us when we're trying to have good relationships with them." But there's a point in the movie when the attack starts. And one of the characters, the Americans, he's like, you want proof? He's like, there's your proof. And there's like a bunch of ships like blowing up. Uh, and so, yeah, it was a super big mess up on both sides because with the Geneva Conventions, um, which is like the rules of war, basically, yeah. um, Japan, you have to give you have to give notice before you enter into a, like before you declare war on somebody. Japan sent a message to the president to the white house to you know whatever wherever it did not get to the white house they didn't see it until Mm. 30 minutes after the attack had started but they had planned for it to get there at one and their attack was going to commence at 1 30 their attack commenced at 1 30 but they didn't they didn't get the note until like an hour later and it's just a it's horrible screw up on both sides it's so, just senseless. You know, yeah. that's, I think that's the number one thing that you can walk away from Pearl Harbor with. It's mm-hmm. like it was senseless killing. And, it, yeah. you know, in, in a war 
fraught with like senseless killing like yeah. that's just Horrible. another tragic example and mm-hmm. yeah no i in, in no ways am i saying like like pearl harbor shouldn't be seen as an american tragedy but it's it's a tragedy in 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 many regards mm-hmm. and like not telling that full story kind of does an injustice yeah. to the lengths as to which it is a, a tragic event in history yeah definitely so uh speaking of tragic events in history um Christopher Nolan released Tenet this year. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, yeah. So you saw it? I did. I finally saw it. Um, The movie that was supposed to bring everyone back to the cinemas. Um, And let me tell you, if people had come back to the cinemas to watch Tenet, I think they would have fucking hated it. (laughs) Really? Well, because... Okay, we're not going to jump into spoilers yet, but like... No, of course not. This movie is certainly up its ass with its shit. You know, like, it's... I don't want to be mean, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's it's a pretty well-made movie. But I think it's also one of the most convoluted um, and just, like, in its own, like, ass, like Mm -hmm. I said, movies that I've seen in recent memory, like... The, the concept of the inversion is, like, explained very briefly within the first five minutes. And essentially the movie's explanation is, just go with it. You know, yeah. just feel it it's... out. Like, it'll it'll start to make sense later. And then it just proceeds to add more and more layers to it. And I feel the, audi- the typical moviegoer would not have liked this movie mm-hmm. because it's too confusing. Um, I will say that I watched it in... While I admit I was confused in a lot of spots, I feel like a rewatch would help with a lot of it, it, that. It does. It really does. Um, but I think that the core problem with this movie is that the story is so convoluted anyway that I don't think it would make much of a difference. Like mm-hmm. I don't think that I'm necessarily all that invested in the story that there is to unravel here. Like mm-hmm. I feel like it's been done in other movies a bit better like i think primer is the ultimate like time travel like and it's very confusing you've got to watch it multiple times movie and at least in that movie like when you rewatch it and unravel it like it's a pretty interesting story going on here i think tenant um has been done in like smaller budget time travel like time reversal movies but i will say that it is one of the best shot action movies um like the sequences are amazing yeah and especially when you reach the ending and you look back at like some of the sequences you saw before and like the changes that it brings to the whole movie it's like oh wow that's crazy so i will say nolan is like a director of very bold ideas but i don't think this was his best and in fact, I would go as far as to say that this was maybe one of his worst movies. And I, I know that to a lot of Nolan fans, I take the L a lot because I don't even like Interstellar all that much. Mm-hmm. I think it's like cheap, uh, a poor man's 2001. But <laughs> I just, I like the production in this movie, but I can't say that I care too much for the story, which really disappointed me because mm-hmm. usually with Nolan, you can have it both ways. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Just look at the Dark Knight trilogy, look at Memento. Like, he is a great screenwriter and i feel like he's been losing his touch lately i haven't seen dunkirk so i can't I think, you know I pronounce think, him. i think you would love dunkirk i feel like honest. dunkirk sounds more up my more more up my alley mm-hmm. than this 
I like this. And I, I admire the creativity that goes into a movie like this. But, like, dude, I, it, I guess it really makes me angry that he endangered so many, like, people's lives by, like, releasing this and, say, like, not giving anyone a safe option to view this movie. Like, mm-hmm. no one could watch it at home. Like, you needed to go see it in the theaters. Like, I, I, I don't think I can view Tenet without seeing Christopher Nolan's like self-importance no put into it. i don't think you're supposed to like uh i mean you got to look at like the 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 surrounding controversies and the, and the history that led like that's one of the first things we said in the first episode we talked about we wanted to talk about history regarding to like film mm-hmm. and like you have to look at like the circumstances in which this movie was released no film half of the films made in the past 70 years are interesting unless you look at the circumstances around them. And Tenet, while I think the film is interesting by itself, it's even more interesting to look at just how it was released and how it was made and, and all this stuff. And so definitely, and I understand like, I mean, obviously I disagree with you a bit. Just, I I don't think it's one of his worst. I think of it, I, I hate You the, have to admit it's pretty mid though. It's, it's mid, definitely it's mid, it's middling. But the... How do I say this? The story, the villain of the story, super weak. I don't like him. I don't like. I like Kenneth Branagh, but I didn't like his character. Yeah, like the villain. Kenneth Branagh, like oddly underutilized in yeah. this one. And like, I, I, I don't think. I think the biggest problem with this movie is like the stakes are so confusing. Like at any given moment, you're not quite sure what's at stake there, yeah, yeah. and like. You know, you can argue that, like, oh, if you watch the movie multiple times and if you, like, pay attention to these close details, like, you can figure out exactly what's going on. But also, your movie is supposed to kind of explain why people should be invested in yeah. it, like, in the first place. Like, I, I'm all for rewatching a movie and getting, like, a deeper meaning from it. And, like, I, several movies I love are like mm-hmm. that, you know? Um,. I think every Charlie Kaufman movie ever released, like, it benefits from multiple rewatches, like mm-hmm. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, mm-hmm. Anna Lisa, even this year, I'm thinking of ending things. Um, but this isn't, like, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. Because this is an action movie, and this is a movie where inherently people's investment is going to come from knowing what's going on, knowing what the stakes are. You know, as much as I like uh, watching it like this really insane airplane stunt like mm-hmm. if i'm not sure what it's all for like you know yeah. kind of a hard time keeping my investment and like not getting into spoilers or anything but like the final action set piece i think that's such a cool idea what mm-hmm. they're doing there with the like um you know the colors and the yeah and the in the teams and stuff but i don't know who they're fighting necessarily mm-hmm. i don't think there are even any shots to really establish who they're fighting i don't really have a grasp on what the villain's plan is anymore yeah. at that point like i think that's the thing is by the end of the movie i realized like while it was all very cool and visually interesting and i was intrigued by the story i was like well i just didn't i never got a basic enough understanding through the film yeah that that made me feel like I wanted to see it through to the end or like there was anything really keeping me in it like other than 
cool action set pieces. Yeah. And if I'm not sure why the cool action set pieces are happening, then it turns out they're less intriguing. You right. Know? Yeah. I. Here's the thing about Nolan. It, Nolan is one of those guys that combines high art and high concept. He's always been on. He's always been able to balance critics and audience approvals because he he just balances like the the like there's always a deeper meaning like to his films that you can like pick apart and you can um you know for example when we talked about the dark knight and about the post 9-11 kind of that america that he's symbolizing there with tenet i don't think he could come up with a good enough story to mask his his underlying like meaning and stuff with tenet i dug into it uh, do you know about the Seder square no the, but that's the villain's name Sa- yeah. yeah well the Seder square is this like really old like rune that they dug up um and uh, i can't remember where they found it but it's people still don't know what it means because it's a palindrome square and the words are Seder, opera rhodus tenet and uh a repo and if you look at the movie Tenet, a yeah. repo, the art dealer, opera, the first sequence, Tenet is the name of the film, Rotus is the uh, company that built the time inversion machine, and Seder is the villain. He's trying to say something in the movie. Yeah. A lot of the biggest theory with the Seder Square is that it was used uh, when the Christians were being persecuted by the Romans. They would use this Seder Square, they would use it to communicate with each other. And basically, Tenet means like faith. Like, if you look at the word tenet, I think it's somewhere in the Hebrew or something. It, and I mean, even in the movie, they every time every they time, introduce yeah. the concept, people fold their hands. Like, it's almost like a prayer. Yeah. You know, the, when they mention tenet, they mm-hmm. fold the hands first. Exactly. And, like, it's all very interesting. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, and now that I know about the Seder Square, that's mm-hmm. very interesting, too. But I think the problem here is, like, there's a difference between thinking you're clever and, like, yeah. actually being clever, like... It's it's very cool, mm-hmm. that, but like it's something that I picked up on, you know, in watching it. Like, yeah, and sure, my dad like helped point it out or whatever, but like it's pretty apparent that people are doing that. Um, and if you know about the Seder Square, of course you're gonna notice like mm-hmm. all those things. Like, there's nothing inherently very clever about naming characters and settings in your movie right. after yeah. a square like that it just shows that you learned about something on Wikipedia <laughs> yeah i guess so and said i'm gonna put that in there i yeah. don't know and that's i guess what i mean is i'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt here i'm trying to i i think he was going for something that didn't quite translate yeah. like he wanted it to because i don't think his story while i enjoy the story of tenet i like you at a point I'm kind of like, what is it all for? What is the meaning of this? Are you going to do a trilogy and it's all going to make more sense? Or, you know, what? But I think with him trying to be, you know, clever... Well, there's definitely not going to be a trilogy now. Oh, definitely not, no. But um, I think, you know, I look back at all his other films and, and he's done it so well. I think he just missed the mark on here. I think if he had actually accomplished what he was trying to do with Tenet with getting the themes he wanted across while still creating a story that an audience can watch and not be confused and not need to watch multiple times to even get some sense of what's going on. I feel like it would have been a lot better off. Like, yeah, yeah, it's not his best. I don't think it's definitely not his worst. When I say it's in the middle, and I mean that in like a higher regard than most because I love 
all of Nolan's films. I'm a huge, I'm a Nolan fanboy, whatever. But he's a good, you know, he's a great director. He's great. I mean, yeah. As much as I'm criticizing him right now, like I do think that he has made some of the finest movies mm-hmm. just out there. Like I think the Batman movies, like transcend comic books. I mm-hmm. think Inception is a much better version of what he's trying to go for in Tenet. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess that's the thing is throughout Tenet, it's kind of hard to shake what's come before. And in Inception, I really like what he brings to that. In Tenet, I feel like he's really tested like how smart he thinks he is. And yeah. It, I think the answer is you're not as smart as you think you are. Stop trying so hard. Yeah. You know, like, like except yeah. that you're the director of like a bunch of comic book nerds <laughs> and, and like live in that. You know, mm-hmm. you you don't have to like try and out genre like every movie that's ever like genre and i think that's why i like the idea of dunkirk is it sounds like a mm-hmm. you know just like a war movie yeah but that nolan's bringing his grand scope to and i think that's the best thing about nolan is that he makes everything feel so epic like even though i'm kind of confused about what's going on and what the stakes are in tenant it feels so big mm-hmm. like oh my god yeah like the imax camera is employed at in like some of the finest ways that's ever been employed yeah. here like the the the, the truck chasing scenes mm-hmm. in this movie the, the i like, think the the first sequence the opera is just yeah it feels that's so, beautiful yeah mm-hmm. i wish i had seen that like in any other year christopher nolan's absolutely right this is the movie that you need to go see on the imax like on the big big yeah, screen yeah definitely but again like the problem here is you could have just waited if you really think that's the experience that people need to have mm-hmm. and if you're going to release the movie anyway put it put it on home video yeah, yeah. you know like have a safe option here yeah, you know definitely. every other studio this year was able to hold off on their big releases and i mean hbo max i think is the most innovative thing ever like with wonder woman 1984 coming out in theaters and there simultaneously like i think that's the way to do it um yeah and i think nolan's just stuck in the past i think he's up his own ass about how you have to watch a movie yeah because he's like oh you ha- you got to go see it on the big screen you got to go see it on the big big screen like get with the times and especially read the room right now mm-hmm. you know yeah. we're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic your your movie which is pretty mid for you at best does not deserve um, to be released solely in theaters where it's likely to infect at least like a couple hundred people who are going to go out and see your movies because you have that sway. Like, I think see mad about the real life stuff that it's hard to even like not think about my criticisms of the movie without thinking of my criticism of him and as a person. But like, they're I think they're intertwined here because Mm -hmm. they both show that Christopher Nolan is up his own ass right now, and I really hope whatever his next project is, he humbles himself a little bit yeah. and returns to his roots. Like, truly, you don't have to try so hard, baby. Just make a decent movie mm-hmm. that makes sense. And I'm not saying Tenet doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. okay? Like, I get the general arc of the story. I know where we start, I know where we end, and now that I know where we end and know where we mm-hmm. start and the whole inversion thing, mm-hmm. I see where moments across the movie make more sense mm-hmm. on the second watch. Um, do I think that makes it any better? No. I think it's about like a seven at best, maybe a six. You know, <laughs> it's above average. 
and especially for him i think it's disappointing so i don't know that's my views on tenet i i came into this way angrier than i thought i'd be <laughs> sorry you're good i i mean ugh. big stretch I, hey, it's your opinion, man. That's your what? opinion. That's your opinion. Man. That's my opinion. <laughs> um, the, yeah, um, I I hope whatever. I think he just tries to outdo himself with every movie. Like he tries to go bigger and bigger. And I think his next movie, he should maybe dial it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, bigger I, doesn't always mean better. That's that's very true. Um, in the case of. The Mission Impossible movies, though, it always seems to get better for some reason. Like, I feel like... I don't know how you feel about the Mission Impossible movies, but I, I love them. I feel like the only misstep is Mission Impossible 2, which is kind of oh, like I don't, bad. I don't, yeah, no, that's John Woo going full John Woo. And yeah, I did, but Woo. I mean, I, I still like watching <laughs> yeah. it, you know. It's yeah. just definitely not as good as mm-hmm. the first. But yeah, I would even say like J.J. Abrams bringing it to Mission Impossible 3. Mm-hmm. That's bigger and better. Ghost Protocol at yeah. the time was like the best one yeah for and, sure. and then rogue nation comes out and we're like wait that's really good but then fallout comes out and that's the biggest one yet with like the biggest stunt yet and i don't know why but i rogue nation doesn't really stick in my head which is a shame because i think fallout's probably the best one that's come out mm-hmm. and it's so closely tied to rogue nation that i was like yeah on wikipedia for the rogue nation <laughs> thing while Plus i was watching right. fallout and i yeah. was like oh that guy was in there too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I love the I love the Mission Impossible movies, and I uh, I can't wait for the next one. Uh, did you hear the the Tom Cruise yelling at all the people on the set for not following? The I protocols? heard about it from my mom because yeah, well, and it's a pretty woke uh, yelling at people on the set thing. Mm-hmm. Like people weren't wearing their masks yeah. around Tom Cruise, so he was like, "Screw you, wear your mask when yeah. you're around me." And I don't think that's hubris or like self-importance i think that's just a safety protocol yeah. people need to be following on movies i mean right a, a lot of people i saw on twitter a lot of people were uh there was some mixed opinions i a couple of film directors uh one uh okay well um she, she's never gonna listen to this do you follow lucy on letterboxd or do you know of Lucy? Uh, yeah, I, I, okay. I think I know about. She she thought it was just so stupid that he was yelling at the people. She thought like you don't need some like pompous like Hollywood actor asshole like yelling at you. That she thought the message would have got across a lot better. On the flip hand, Scott Derrickson uh, on Twitter was like, uh, actually, there's there's something in the way that he. While he's yelling at them and he's mad, he's tying it in to like the future, like people's actual well-being and the future of an industry. And there's something, there's like truth, like in his words, like behind like him being angry. And personally, for me, it is time to stop being nice to people about following safety protocols. Yeah, we have been in this thing for nearly a year. We are all sick and tired of it. I'm getting mad just even thinking about it. I don't care that Tom Cruise yelled at these people. If they're being stupid like that, he should have written them a new one like he did. Like, I thought it was great. I, like, he made some solid points, like, even while he was, like, angry, like, yelling at them. Like, I don't think it's anything we should criticize him for. If anything, we should be criticizing the crew members that weren't following the protocol in the first place. I mean, how, just how stupid do you have to be, like, you're you're on it like and Mission Impossible movies are big. Yeah, you know that's a huge. You're around so many people. So many people. Like, how can you be so careless? I don't. I don't know. I think it was justified. 
And I, I, I definitely have noticed like these movies, like if you're going to choose to continue shooting your movie, you really need to step up your safety protocols. Like mm-hmm. I was very surprised to hear that the Batman continued shooting. Mm-hmm. And then like a week later when people were like, oh, it resumed shooting. Robert Pattinson got COVID. Yeah. Like clearly people on that set we're aren't not, doing yeah. everything they need to. Like that guy admitted like, oh, I kind of felt sick, but I still showed up to work. And it's like. You idiot. Like, yeah. why would you do that? Like, you... I mean, and it's not just about if you're feeling symptoms. Like, that's the thing. You can feel... That's the scariest thing about this virus mm-hmm. is not having symptoms is a symptom of having COVID-19, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know? Like, that's just so crazy to me that we know everything we know mm-hmm. about this, which we know a lot now because it's been a while. Like, back in March, I wouldn't have blamed you if you didn't know that it could be passed through, like, breathing and mm-hmm. stuff, but we're veterans of this virus now we know better Mm -hmm. like that's simply the truth is we know how it works now um and now more than ever with a variant out there in the uk that's spreading to other parts of the world that we don't fully understand Mm -hmm. we need to be on our guard again um and so i don't know like i haven't heard tom cruise yelling at the people but i honestly think that it's one of the best things he could have yelled at anyone for yeah. and it doesn't sound like a christian bale yelling at some poor light guy well apparently at the dp of terminator salvation back uh, yeah. in the day like it, this, this sounds like it's uh well Born deserved yeah. yeah yeah i i thought i listened to the, the it's like a full two and two minute two and a half minute like screaming and um at first like when i first started listening to it i was like oh god i was like what are we doing and then like i just was listening to what he was saying. I was like, "Not everything seems fine here. Moving mm-hmm. on, I guess." Like, like I don't know. It's a, to call it a controversy. I don't know if it's been called a controversy, but it shouldn't be. It's just very, you know, plain, dry, simple. What? Let's move on. Like he he was in the right. Like honestly, to me, he was in the right. I mean, mm-hmm. you can go and listen. Think audience, you can form your own opinions on it. But for me, you know, you can find it easily. Just search it up on the internet. The video will pop up. But yeah, it's uh, pretty wild, but... I'll give it a listen, dude. Yeah. Um, I mean, speaking of Mission Impossible, though, like, and Tenet, you know, yeah. spy movies... Espionage. Espionage has been around a while, and yeah. I've recently heard that you uh, did some catching up... Yes, I did. ...on the big boy on of the, the espionage boy. genre, Jason Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Um, <laughs> Have you seen the Bourne movies, though? Uh, all but the... Uh, I didn't... Wait, did I? Okay, I think I've seen them all, but I didn't watch any of the new ones. Like, I didn't watch Jason Bourne or the Bourne Legacy. Oh, you don't need to watch Bourne okay, Legacy. Yeah. Jason Bourne, also, I would say, you yeah. don't need to watch. No. But I like the the, the first three are mm-hmm. pretty solid. Yeah, but Jason Bourne's never held a candle to James Bond no, for me. No, no, that's where it's at. Not James. In my book. So it's weird that you say that. I um, I never gave much thought about James Bond movies. I always thought they were just eh. But and partly because when I start, I tried watching Casino Royale years and years ago. I thought it was kind of boring, so I turned it off. Um, and I thought I always kept thinking. And I, with every one of these releases, I remember when Skyfall came out, everybody was talking about Skyfall. Yeah. And I thought it's the Home Alone of James Bond movies. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, it's a masterpiece. But I was like. I was like, you know, one of these days I'm gonna get into the James Bond movies. I'm just I'm gonna have to watch them because Skyfall was such a cultural just phenomenon because like I had 
you know, my friends at school talking about it. They're like, Skyfall's awesome. And I'm like, what is the big deal about James Bond? And then, um, I don't know. I just never found it. I thought it was just one of the lesser action movies, I guess. I don't know why I ever thought that. But audience, let me tell you, I just went and watched all four Daniel Craig Bond movies. And I've seen the first the first Bond movie, Dr. No. Um, they're great. Even even the low ones, like Quantum and Spectre, which are meant to they mm-hmm. a lot of people don't. I thought they were all fantastic Bond movies. Um, obviously, Casino and Skyfall are the best ones. Yeah, I was just about to say. I think I think Daniel Craig continues the trend with Bond movies that they're very hit or miss because mm-hmm. Quantum I think is a miss, and I even think Spectre, uh, especially coming off of Skyfall's heels, is a pretty yeah. big miss and if you've seen all of the james bond movies it's also just kind of a callback yeah i I don't know yeah like it's really trying to like Mm -hmm. recapture like older james bond movies and i don't think it does it to the best effect but like man like casino royale like that Mm -hmm. is i don't think it's just a really good james bond movie i think it's one of the finest action movies out there like truly yeah it's uh Every time I go into like a, a movie about poker, I'm just like, all right, how boring is this going to be? But then, but the Molly's Game, such a thrilling movie. Oh, I haven't about, seen it. You yet. haven't seen Molly's Game? It's so good, and it's just like, I can you take poker and make it this freaking interesting? Uh, you and then put Aaron Sorkin. You put Aaron. It. Yeah, you put Aaron Sorkin in yeah, charge. Aaron of Sorkin in there. But uh, and then Casino Royale, you know, it's like. A Bond movie where he plays poker against a bad guy. Most riveting thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like, it's amazing. It's no, amazing. It's, it's really great. Uh-huh. And I mean, that's the first ever James Bond story. Like, that was the first book that mm-hmm. was ever written. That was the first movie. Um, well, it was an American movie that they made. It was Jimmy Bond, and it aired live on television. This really? is nuts. Like, back in the 50s, they bought the rights to Casino Royale. They aired it. Um, they changed it from, like... Baccarat, which is the game that they play in the novel to like Texas Hold'em or something <laughs> so Americans would understand it. Um and they they changed James Bond to Jimmy Bond. It's it's really surreal because the character is so inherently British and like <laughs> tied to British culture. But yeah, even Felix Leiter shows up and he's British now and he's like, Oh Corblame, how you doing, Jimmy? <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen it, but Definitely the most interesting thing about it is it was filmed and aired live. So when someone gets shot in that, they're doing like a live um, special effect. And like that's happening in real time, like for when it was being broadcast. Nowadays, it makes it look super bad. But (laughs) (laughs) knowing that, you can give it some slack and Mm -hmm. be like, okay. But this is definitely the best version of that story because, I mean trounces it like it's not even close yeah. like this dumb american made vignette back in the day versus daniel craig casino royale yeah it's like where's the crane scene man yeah where's the freaking uh <laughs> where's the machete scene dude yeah where's the a little to the left my balls <laughs> that's not how james bond sounds but this is how i do can we just people. can i just talk about like that scene with the whip and his and his uh, private uh, area um, sound like an eight year old private area. Yeah, I'll private just say area. it. His balls. His no no square. His no no square. Nah, that is so painful to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I think it's like my favorite scene in the film because he's like a little to the left and he's like, what? He's like, there's a scratch to the left and then he just right on him and he's like, oh, that's good. That's good. And I'm like, ah, like, ah, such a well-written like and shot like scene and just like, I don't know. It's so, the whole movie's brilliant. The, 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 uh, Le Chiffre or Le Chiffre. Uh, mm-hmm. Played by Mass Mickelson. Oh, what a great villain! He's what a great amazing. villain! I I love like especially with Casino Royale that it's like the first James Bond movie that acknowledges that if you're gonna be in this line of work, you're gonna have to be cold and like disconnected. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it like, I mean, it's James Bond's origin story. Like mm-hmm. this is the yeah. movie that really explores. Like, it shows you when he becomes a double O right mm. from the start, which I think is one of the best parts of it, is it's just that black and white opening, and it's like, uh, M wouldn't send you, you know, only a double O would have that clearance, and it's like, you've only, you've got no kills, and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I've got one before you, and he's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I know where you keep your bullets. <laughs> and then there, this has a pretty good theme song mm-hmm. with... with Chris uh, Cornell writing it. Um, I don't remember what it was called. You know my name or something. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah. And it's got all the, like the cards mm-hmm. and stuff. This is just the Casino Royale gush time. Yeah. Sorry. No, don't worry. We'll get to Skyfall in a minute. And yeah. About that one, but but I just think in the grand context of James Bond movies, like it was so refreshing to finally see this character who is usually just murdered a bunch of people had sex with random women and watched them die with no interest and then mm. be witty about it. You know, to finally see him at his coldest and yet his most human because Vesper Lynn in this character, I think, is the ultimate Bond girl. Best because Bond girl. She's the only one that's ever, like, really mattered. Like, mm-hmm. her death in this movie, like, is so important to the character. And I know that... Okay, I know that the whole James Bond franchise is problematic when it comes to, like, their depiction of women. But trust me, this is a win for James Bond. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Having her be as important as she was and pivotal to the story and not just being written off with, like, a one-liner with her death. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, cool blimey, Vesper. You should have come up for air when you needed it or something. (laughs) That would have been, like, 70s Roger Moore Bond. Yeah. (laughs) Ugh, yeah, I, um... Yeah, that's the that's the thing I kept like think like the Bond girls like I didn't know they were so easily killable because again like I'm not a huge I'm not a James Bond connoisseur. I've oh, not, they die all, all the time. time. Like there's usually two Bond girls per movie. There's the one that dies and there's the, and one, the one that, that lives. lives. Yeah, that's... it's usually the one that lives has a terrible name like Pussy Galore. Uh, pretty interesting character. <laughs> Terrible name. There's also Octopussy. Yeah, that, um, okay, what the freak, dude? What the frick, man? That Octopussy, Octopussy is just one of the worst movies. Why? I saw that on TV and I thought it was one of the porn channels. No. And I was like, what? It's a James Bond movie? What kind of fucking name is Octopussy? No, that's 70s Bond. 70s Bond is all kinds of problematic because it's like... Um, you've got the worst names like Octopussy, Moonraker, which Moonraker is a terrible movie, but it slaps. Trust me. <laughs> they have laser fights in space. It's amazing. Um, sorry. Just thinking of Moonraker right now. 
like their Star Wars wannabe <laughs> James Bond movie. Oh. But like Octopussy is like hella problematic. It's got like Indian characters with like bladed yo-yos and oh stuff. Oh my it's god! Like, <laughs> um, and then there's like Live and Let Die, which is like a Mardi Gras like James Bond movie, and like the villain is like I, black voodoo guy. I like, don't think I want to watch the other James Bond films. No, okay. <laughs> I would recommend. Sean Connery has some really solid stuff. Like, obviously, some of those suck, too. But, like, you know, it's the roots of the character. Yeah. And, I mean, sure, you're going to run into blatant sexism and a little bit of blatant racism. But, like, I think those movies are really solid, most of them. I would skip Roger Moore. Uh, I would watch the awesome one, like Moonraker and uh, Spy Who Loved Me, which is actually pretty good. Um, And then... You gotta watch Timothy Dalton Bond, cause he's '80s Bond. Um, after like Roger Moore retired when he was like 57, which was ridiculously old for the character. Right. So this is just gonna be me explaining James Bond history. That's okay. For a little bit. Um, and so Timothy Dalton stepped into the role, and that was the first time. This is the blueprint for like Daniel Craig's character because okay. Timothy Dalton was like darker, like. Uh, in one of the movies, like, Felix Leiter gets his, like, legs chomped on by a shark and his wife gets murdered and James Bond is like, I'm gonna get revenge! <laughs> they, like, take away his license to kill. And it was PG-13, which was a big deal at the time. That was very dark for the character, okay? Uh, the movie that that happens in isn't all that great, but it's just cool that it's a darker right. James Bond movie. Um, and then, of course, Pierce Brosnan was like a good mix between the two he was dark but then he kind of had roger moore's like witticisms and like we were finally kind of stepping away from the racism until world is not racism and sexism a little bit until world is not enough and die another day in which uh oh god there's just a bunch of terrible stuff the north koreans are part of it it's just like uh, it's pretty cringy um i don't know Pierce Brosnan's not all that great of a Bond past GoldenEye. But then, that's what's so refreshing. Man, did I just not recommend most Bond movies? Like, I was trying to like, <laughs> tell you there are eras you need to watch, but then I realized that, like, it's just a hit-or-miss franchise, yeah, okay? Yeah. Like, I would say Connery, Dalton, and Craig are the best, and then watch GoldenEye okay. from uh, Brosnan. There. Uh-huh. Boom. Definitive guide. You're welcome. <laughs> Internet. <laughs> but no i would say that definitely in terms of not being completely horrible uh from like a cultural standpoint and being poorly aged i would say the daniel craig movies are leagues ahead of all the other ones because they have developed female characters yeah we have and finally getting into skyfall a little bit because i don't say i I don't think I can remember enough about Quantum of Solace to talk about I, it. I can since I watched it the other day. I'll give my little tidbit. Also, was it a little problematic in there? There's some stuff? I don't remember. <laughs> well, Quantum of Solace, yeah, it, it can be considered a little problematic. It's just, I will say this about Solace, or get Quantum is what everybody calls it. Uh, it's um, horribly edited. Yeah. Horribly edited. Well, it was made during, like, the big writer strike of, like, 2009 also. Right. So, that, like, the script was, like, super unpolished. That too. that shows. The script is super unpolished. But I think the worst offense is the editing. Because what I liked about Casino Royale's action is it was fast-paced, but it didn't include 85 cuts in a minute like the Bourne movies did. Like, you could see what was happening. You could tell what was going on with the action, and it's still, like... 
fast paced and it's hitting you and everything. Quantum, the first sequence, which it has a great cold open, but the first sequence with the car chase, there's like a cut every second. Every second there's a freaking cut and you cannot tell what is going on at all. It's so disorienting. And the whole movie is like that. Yeah. Shootouts with the camera angles, with the cameras are placed, cutting to different camera angles. I cannot tell what is going on at all. I don't know who's dead. I don't know if even if Bond still has his head attached to him because there's like bullets flying everywhere and the camera is cutting to just the weirdest angles. The editing, I'm telling you, it's ass. It is absolutely ass. That's the worst, worst editing of any Bond film. And I was like, please don't let Skyfall have this like no. rush, just this choppy, just sickening editing that this one did. Because that, that that to me was like Quantum's like downfall. The story it, was a little unpolished. And while the action was good, you couldn't tell what was going on half the time. I, I do want to remark like in terms of the story, like I think that's usually what people are so disappointed by. Because this was supposed to be a direct sequel to Casino Royale and really wrap up like a lot of things that were brought there and i think there's a reason why people don't really remember what happened in quantum of solace because yeah. like it the casino royale element of it is like really weak like you know there's like one little bit about vesper being like like you go and visit the person who betrayed her at the yeah. end like very briefly yeah um and like the intro of the movie kind of ties into like mr white and like the stuff that happened at the end of Casino Royale, but like as a whole, it's just not a very good direct sequel. It's not a very good mm -hmm. original story of its own. I mean, and I, I watched it a couple of days ago, and I still can't remember half of the crap that happened in it. So I, I think I've watched it like three times in my life because I think the Daniel Craig movies I've watched the most out of any of the other ones, and I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Oh, and Goldeneye. I've yeah. watched Goldeneye a bunch. I can't stress enough. Goldeneye solid. Goldeneye is done by the director who did. Um, Casino Royale? Casino Royale, Martin Campbell. Yeah. Who went on to do the new Green Lantern movie, so I mean, great track record. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sad. That is sad. Oh. But, um, so, Quantum of Solace was a bit of a misstep, but then they did, um, Skyfall, Skyfall with Sam Mendes. Oh! Dude. Oh, shit. Someone just, um, whoa. Oh. Who's in here with Casey right Sorry. now? Sorry. Um, <laughs> Skyfall. Was <laughs> oh man, I will never oh, hold on. I'm stretching. Okay, he's sorry. He's not it's not what it sounds like. <laughs> Skyfall was such a delightful surprise for me because I was really hoping after all the hype that I've gotten around it for for years and about it being you know the definitive like Bond like experience and like sort of like a good finale was not let down. It is so good. It is the best. I, I'm going to say it's better than Casino Royale simply because its villain is, I think, way better than Lashif. Like, Lashif was already really hard to top. I think Silva did a f phenomenal job of, of replacing Lashif as the, my best, my favorite Bond villain um, so mm. far. I... Is that a hot? Is that a hot take? I thought I thought um, Javier Bardem did they, amazing. It, it, it might not be that big of a hot take. I feel like it's kind of a hot take for me. Like I like the the Skyfall villain a lot. Like I thought, like at the time, especially like I hadn't seen Javier Bardem and mm -hmm. anything else. I was like, oh wow, this is great. But people have very fairly pointed out that they're trying to do like a rip off Joker 
thing, like, mm. down to the point of him being captured and having everything planned, which is ridiculous in the world of the movie. Like, mm-hmm. what's, how could you have possibly, like, planned all that? Like, you're just, you saw the Dark Knight and you're trying to do that. Right. Um, and I also, I don't know. I just think that Lashif is a little bit more interesting in my book, but like I'm, I, I think I'm just being harder, harder in my head on it than it than I need to be because I think Javier Bardem does really bring his mm-hmm. his all to that role, and I think that yeah, no, yeah, Silva's great. I think <laughs> yeah, no, I the weird look I was giving you, I was just like scrutinizing between the two, like yeah. which do I like more, and I think I think the answer is still Lashif, but I I do like Silva a lot, right. and I mean he changes the franchise forever. He gets M, yeah. dude. Yeah. By the end of the movie, our, he's killed her. Our favorite, our Judy Dench, our queen, she's dead. I love about the newer James Bond movies that they finally changed that character to someone that you actually care about. Because in all the older ones, M is just some random dude that you don't give a shit about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly, uh, like in GoldenEye, it changed to Judy Dench. And she was so amazing that she got to survive the reboot. Like... No other character got to bring be brought back on. Not even like fucking James Bond, the actor playing him, <laughs> got to come back. But Judy Dench just got to like be M again. It was yeah. Like, okay. You know, okay. I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought she's. I think she's great as M, and especially mm-hmm. what I think is so like okay. And and yes, they did kind of rip off the Dark Knight's plot point with the Joker wanting to be caught and everything. Mm-hmm. But the sequence. Uh, immediately coming after that where where they he storms into the courthouse like that is just an amazing thrilling sequence and like it's the movie skyfall is so dark and just like really gritty Mm -hmm. oh i just love everything about it it's cold open the bond girl uh, uh, the the villain um money penny is a character that used to exist in um older james Mm -hmm. bond movies just like kind of like a ditzy secretary yeah and so it was really nice to see money penny like come back and like be reinvented Re-inven- like this yeah, like yeah. that character really needed it and q and q love q if you watch the sorry just gonna talk about how these characters have <laughs> yeah, changed yeah. over the years but like q q used to be like pretty much judy dench's role back in the older movies like q was always the same actor in the older james bond movie so even though the actor of james bond would change this older guy would uh-huh. come back um, and then he passed away in the 90s and they tried to bring him back in like the last Pierce Brosnan movie and it didn't really work. So it was nice to finally see him come back in some form and mm-hmm. he's this younger guy, which yeah. that's a like long-term James Bond fans are like, oh my God, he's a young guy now? Because yeah. he used to just always be like the random old dude. Right. Like, the movie's like, I think it works though. In it's fantastic. It's, it's amazing. I um, loved it. Yeah, no, I know. I'm, I'm glad... What I love about Skyfall is that it pays homage to like those older James Bond movies without um, without betraying itself and without um, compromising the movie and the story that they're telling. Yeah. In Skyfall, like it's just a solid movie on its own, and then on top of that, it's a great James Bond movie. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I I was so pleasantly surprised with it, and it. I knew it was really good because I was thinking about it like the morning after I watched it and I was thinking about it all day and I was like, damn, like that's just a great movie. Like in general, like I, 
I, I don't know. I can't. I can't gush about Skyfall enough. If if y'all haven't watched, well, you gotta you gotta gush about one thing before you before you like give it the recommendation. You gotta uh, gush about Roger Deakins coming yes. on board because I think that's the first time I was ever aware that cinematography could be like done by one person. And like I don't know, Skyfall is what made me aware of the DP job because yeah. I walked away from it thinking like that's the most beautifully shot movie I've ever seen. Like with the like the blue billboard in the background and they're like fighting on the mm-hmm. top floor of that building i was like oh my god yeah yeah that's oh yeah that sequence is really really nice uh i think of the uh i think of the the, the opening the train fight that whole sequence the way yeah. it was shot was super i don't know it was super uh i don't know i just like the way felt it grand. felt grand and it felt I don't know. It was just I just love that that first sequence, and I was like, whoa! And just like, like I could tell it's got Roger Deakins' name all mm-hmm. over it, and and even Spectre does with that you know opening one shot in Spectre, and they're both shot great, um, but Skyfall, all the elements, the the screenplay, the acting, the the cinematography, everything just came together very very nicely, and it's a great Bond film. Great film in general, honestly. I'll probably go back and rewatch it soon because I, I love it a lot. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm overdue for a Casino mm-hmm. Royale rewatch, personally. Yeah, like, yeah. I think I'll probably watch that before No Time to Die comes out, which I'm very curious to see. Mm-hmm. I, I thought Spectre was a bit of a, a misstep, um, and Sam Mendes has since left the franchise. Mm-hmm. Roger Deakins has signed off. This is, uh, I believe, a new director. Yeah. Um, Honestly, the trailers have been kind of iffy yeah. looking for me. It's been delayed several times, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it was supposed to come yeah. out in November of 2019, and then April this year, which obviously didn't work out, and then November, and then mm-hmm. now it's, I think, on an indefinite hold. No, it's coming. They just said it's April 15th, 2021 now. Okay. Days. Yeah, yeah, well. I'll believe it when I see it. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what that's what they're saying now. This is the third time they've delayed it, but I mean, before we jump we I mean, we got to talk about Spectre real yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah, we got to talk about Spectre because, a bit more than that, might be. <laughs> yeah, you're good cuz I I have an interesting I am not going to say I have an interesting anything. I have a I have a different opinion I think that other people. I think Spectre at least before the last 30 minutes when it gets goes super camp yeah um, it goes very camp. yeah it goes very camp i think if specter hadn't just come off the heels of skyfall then it would have been received well better and if that last 30 minutes hadn't been so like i said campy i think specter would have been a more solid entry because i was totally invested in this thing i was loving every bit of it when I when I started watching it, up until like those last like thirty minutes where things started not making sense and it was just a little bit goofy, but and then you take that and then you put it and you because inevitably this is what everybody's gonna do they're gonna compare it to Skyfall. It just does not hold up. But I think if Skyfall never existed, I think people would appreciate Spectre a little bit more because there are great sequences, great scenes in Spectre. I think mm. and. But just that last, just trying to tie up that whole series with that with Blowfield and and giving a little bit too much of the fan service, I think yeah. is what really killed it. Because, but because let me tell you that that scene where he infiltrates Spectre and he looks over at the at the meeting, that's a great scene. 
and Dave Bautista's character chasing him in the yeah, car and the I like train that. the train fight all of it is amazing um and even the 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 the, the uh, what is it the hospital in like the Alps or whatever the yeah. snowy mountains that's an awesome sequence um but just that last 30 minutes it doesn't do it for me um but yeah I think uh Spectre's downfall was the fact that it's a sequel to Skyfall. I would I would say um it's not just the last 30 minutes that really encapsulate that though i think that throughout the whole movie that they're taking a big step back and they're trying to make it more like classic bond like daniel craig is like more one-linery like he even asked for the martini martini shaken not stirred yeah um the bond girls are kind of back to basics like there's the random like wife of some random guy that he's trying to get at yeah who gets killed later or betrays him. I don't even remember. Oh, she doesn't anyway. even die in this one. She doesn't die no, in this one? she gets rescued by the American CIA. Oh, thank Or God. American MI6. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just kind of forgettable. Lack of development again there. Um, yeah. And, I don't know, dude. Like, Classic Bond is good. Like, I, I like mm-hmm. Classic Bond. But I think that that time for that kind of movie has ended and incorporating a whole bunch of classic Bond stuff and being as fan servicey as this movie was, it just didn't really do it any favors. It, it kind of has Into Darkness syndrome, which is like, ooh, remember these cool things from the past? Yeah. We're going to bring them back. And, like, not only will modern audiences be kind of confused by a lot of things that they're doing, but, like, in the story itself, it, again, like, when you do a twist... Like, make sure that it actually has something to do with the yeah. characters yeah. in your movie. Like, Christopher Waltz, Christoph Waltz being, I said Christopher Waltz. Yeah. Christoph <laughs> Waltz being Blofeld means nothing to Daniel Craig's James Bond. Mm-hmm. It means nothing to him. All it means to anyone is that people who watch, like, Sean Connery Bond and mm-hmm. George Lazenby Bond. Oh, yeah, watch Honor Majesty's Secret Service, too. That's, like, a great one. Okay. Um, <laughs> Blofeld is just a character that's existed in Bond lore for a while, so all it does is, like, any long-term James Bond fan will go, oh, wow, it's Blofeld. Mm -hmm. But it has no, like, greater depth other than that, and it's really hokey, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't fit this James Bond, like, at all. And I think that's something I'm really afraid of going into No Time to Die is, like, Rami Malek looks cheesy as hell, and Blofeld's back again, and I'm just like, I don't know what this movie is even going to be i think the only thing i'm really excited about is amit anna de armis or anna de Armas, yeah yeah. I think, yeah that's her name yeah she's kennedy told us this like a couple weeks ago and i already drats it's either an m or <laughs> oh my god oh her name mm-hmm and she's in knives out and she's in blade runner 2049 and she's been affleck's girlfriend i need to know for certain okay it is Ana de Armas gotcha. I nailed it I am the I best that person right, that but... ever lived <laughs> and I I got it with just a couple tries nice but yeah she looks very cool yeah in No Time to Die uh the Billie Eilish theme song which Great. got kind of prematurely released this yeah. year I think they figured the movie was coming shortly after definitely great Great theme song. Great theme song. It reminds me more of Adele. That's one yeah. of the things I don't like about Spectre is Sam Smith's theme song is no good. It's not good. And Quantum of Solace didn't really have a great theme song either. Typically, 
James Bond, if the movie has a great theme song, the movie will be pretty good. Although there are a lot of key exceptions. To right. Because it's a 25 movie long mm-hmm. franchise. And of yeah. course you're going to run into that. But yeah. anyway, I uh. mean... I'm glad you're caught up on that world now. Yeah, dude, it's, I'm. That's always been a big part of my life. I'm excited to. I'm excited to watch the other Bond movies, and I'm excited for No Time to Die. I'm because, yeah, I'm like I'm super. I'm I'm uh, uh, just lost the word. I'm I'm on now. Like, yeah, I, I'm you're convi- in it. I'm convinced. You're invested. Like, yeah, I'm invested now. So I would like to see Daniel Craig go out with a bang, mm-hmm. and I mean, if the pattern's right, hit, miss, hit, miss. We're in for a hit. We're in for a hit. I know. I'm. That's like what I kept thinking. I'm like, okay, no time to die might be good because it's been hit, miss, hit, yeah. miss. So we're due for a hit. I know. And if this one's a miss, maybe when they reinvent it in the next iteration of Bond, maybe that one will be, you know, the next best Bond movie. So I don't know. It's a really interesting franchise to follow. I think, and I'm surprised I haven't it took me this long to get into it. Yeah. So, so, so like. You know, after listening to this episode, you, you could tell us some of your favorite espionage movies. Um, I mean, what you thought about Tenet or any of these James yeah. Bond movies we've mentioned. I know that I probably have a more negative take on Tenet than most people, but I still, I still think it's one of the best looking action movies in recent memory. Like I, I've I've been thinking about how harsh I was a second ago, and I right. I want to see that Tenet from a production standpoint is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, just, yeah. Uh, you know, I just think the story left more to be desired. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, that's yeah. just that's my say so. Yeah. Well, what are your plans for watching any? You got any movies on your watch list? You gonna you know see or gonna try and watch soon? Ooh, I was thinking about rewatching Citizen Kane at Ooh, some point. Yeah, I've still yeah. been meaning to do that after Mank. I know Kennedy and I are gonna try and watch Before Sunrise and like maybe do that whole trilogy. Are you, I've never I, seen it before. I was literally like. Tonight, I was going to start the Before Sunrise trilogy. Well, oh my god. Well, that's going to be something we need to talk about <laughs> I know, right? very soon. Yeah. I'm, I'm, we're the, thinking about doing that. The first two are on HBO Max. Yeah, and, that's uh, what we saw. After midnight, I'm not sure. I'll probably just rent it on YouTube or something yeah. for like a few bucks. But yeah, I'm, I'm a, I like Richard Linklater. I, I think he's a cool... I think he's, he's a cool guy. He's got an interesting approach. Did you ever watch Boyhood? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't love it per se, but I loved... Uh, the experience of watching it and everything he did there like mm-hmm. it, it it really is our generation's like nostalgia like movie yeah. like you know there's dragon ball z harry potter game boy advance like you know things that companies might have paid him to include in that movie at right. the time mm-hmm. and then just like the products being shown are like eight years out of date yeah, but it, yeah. that added to its charm for me mm-hmm. i think the only problem with boyhood i had is just like uh, I don't know how to say this. Um, just like it kind of felt directionless sometimes, and some of the actors grew up to be pretty shitty actors, and other ones grew up to be pretty good. I mean, obviously Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette are great. Yeah. But I, I've got to say, some of the kids that grew up maybe weren't as solid as they started. Gotcha. And you, that's my main gripe with it, and also just it was very long and mm-hmm. seemed more based around its gimmick than around like telling a super compelling story but yeah. i still liked it yeah lot. yeah i think of Link- linklater's movies i think my favorite one school of rock <laughs> no i know why i like school of rock school of rock i've never sat down and watched the full thing i've about seen the whole thing because in in school they would show us 
clips and they'd show us full scenes, but like I just Missing never. Out. I know, I know, I know. I never had any interest in sitting down and watching it all, though. But this, hey, this year might be the year. I've got a, I've got three different watch lists that I have to of movies. I gotta oh, really? Up on. Yeah, I have a. So last year, 2020, I had a letterbox list of 100 movies to watch in 2020. I only watched 30 of them. I watched more than 30 movies last year, but only 30 that were on that list. So I thought 2021. I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna make a. I'm gonna make a top a uh, fifty movies to watch in 2021. Oh man, so what? Could, um, so I could, you know, probably it's more easily easy to do, more digestible, I guess. I don't know. But then I was like, I looked on Letterbox, and I also have a watch list of some really interesting movies that are kind of like newer movies that I need to watch. And I was like. Dang, so now I've got a list. I want to finish my, you know, the 70 movies that I still haven't watched. And then I got the 50 movies. And then I got, there's like 60 on my watch list. And I'm like, where do I even start? Do I just pick one, you know, start like mm-hmm. jumping around lists? I don't know. But the Before Sunrise trilogy. Uh, and I got to finish the Three Colors trilogy. Oh. So I have I have two trilogies to finish that I got I to gotta get on. So that'll be probably the first thing I do. Um, and then I'm really, I kind of want to watch the Battleship uh Potemkin, the really old 1920s uh, Soviet uh, yeah movie. Uh, it's got the stair sequence. That's uh, do you know about the stair? But the people getting shot on the stairs. No, it's this infamous sequence in in cinema history that um, it's uh, in the battleship Potemkin, and it's about I can't remember what which war it is, but there's like people like a bunch of citizens running down, and a bunch of armed men go to the top of the stairs and start like shooting them, oh and all gosh. falling down. Yeah, it's a great like expertly filmed sequence and it's uh montage theory all that Sergio Eisenstein stuff but anyway it's sounds super interesting yeah and it's on HBO Max too so well I I definitely this year I think I want to see more classic movies I haven't seen before Mm -hmm. um and I want to see uh just like I don't know movies that like I've been meaning to get around to and like actually doing it you know Mm -hmm, yeah but I do, I do have some plan that I've already seen. Like, I'm about to finish rereading Harry Potter. Like, I'm on the last couple chapters of Deathly Hollows right now. So, I think I'm in for an eight-movie marathon of that pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, I'm gearing up for a uh, Harry Potter marathon, too. Oh, my God. It's been too long. Yeah, it's been too long for me, too. Like, revisiting these books, it's been so trying. And let me tell you, I hate a turf. And I think J.K. Rowling can suck it. But mm-hmm. those books transcend her... You know, like Shitty they're is, yeah. they're magical, like mm-hmm. truly, and I mean, fuck her, but love those books and mm-hmm. love yeah. those movies, you know. And yeah. so many more people worked on those movies than right, just her, right. you know. And it, it it goes to show a lot that the shitty Harry Potter based movies, aka the Fantastic Beasts ones, mm-hmm. were the ones actually written by J.K. Rowling, mm-hmm. and the other ones are just like, you know, like she didn't write them; she just consulted on them, and they're good. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Although I, I, I will like, I will be curious to see if they're like very good adaptations, though, because yeah, you know, I, I, if I remember correctly, as a kid, like the Harry Potter movies leave out a lot of important stuff from the books, so I would, I would be specifically keen to see. the whole elf thing in the kitchen with their, Hermione. Yeah, did. like Hermione spew thing, like yes. advocating for house elf rights, like that never gets mentioned in the movies, and like one of the. Maybe this is like a whole Harry Potter episode at some point, but mm. you know, just all of like the interesting like civil rights or like wizard racism topics 
don't really get addressed in the movies, and that's just a shame. Yeah. Like, they touch on the core concepts of it, but they never get into it. But they're more interesting. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, I'm yawning. They're interesting in the books. Yeah. And they never get brought up in... I mean, mind you, I've only read to book five, but still, like... I don't know. It's it's uh, it's a shame they weren't put in the movies because any of those directors could have handled that. You hey, know? you know what? Tell us. Do you want us to do a whole Harry Potter episode? Dude, we yeah. will. We will. Yeah. You know what? You don't even have to tell us. We will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Just like the Joker episode. It's you know coming. What? Yeah, Joker episode, Harry Potter episode. That might Harry Potter might happen soon if we. Watch those movies soon. Yeah, dude. We might we might have to rank them ooh, even. Ooh, ooh, okay, yeah. Hey, tune in to Mind Over Movies, baby. <laughs> We're we gonna got have some a cool stuff coming. Good old Harry Potter ranking. Yeah, I'm in the. Oh, I don't know if I want to say this right now. You might actually behead me live on the podcast. I have never seen the third Lord of the Rings movie. Goodbye. <laughs>